The Tablet Show, episode 114, with guest Glenn Howes. Recorded live Monday, November 25th, 2013. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Glenn Howes about his experiences building children's applications for the iPhone. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thanks very much. Welcome back to The Tablet Show. Talking about tablets and phones and Lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. Hey, man. Richard Campbell, what's up? I love that we're doing a studio show in amongst all these crazy road trip shows. Yes, I know. It's great. We get a a whole week off from this crazy thing we call a road trip. Well, you get to do the Thanksgiving thing, which is not really time off. I know that much. Yeah, it's a lot of cooking and fun with friends and family. It's great, though. I love it. Well, you've done that already, you know, the, the Canadian version of Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, it's back in October. It's all ages ago. Yeah, well, okay. Let's, uh, <laughs> I got some cool stuff to share, so let's roll the music for Better Now Framework. Do it. <laughs> all right, what do you got? Well, do you know what's happening in three hours in Vancouver? Mm, I don't know. Breakfast? Lunch? No, Lunch. no, no. A Vancouver company uh, is launching these uh, satellite video cameras to the space station. It's pronounced EarthCast, but it's spelled U-R-T-H-E cast dot com. If you go there now, there's like, uh, as we speak, there's a three-hour countdown to this launch. And uh, there's a story if I just, you know, did a Google Bing and found on cbc.ca, two HD cameras designed to stream detailed views of Earth from the International Space Station will blast off into space today. One still camera and one video camera from Vancouver-based EarthCast We'll launch at 3.30 p.m. from Baikonur Cosmodrome. And I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, in Kazakhstan on an unmanned Russian progress spacecraft aboard a Soyuz rocket. The event will be streamed live on cbcnews.ca. Well, don't worry about it because, you know, that was weeks ago. Right. But what's cool about it is it's going to be a live feed HD that you can watch on the web. And not only that, there'll be near live images taken with a still camera. And if you want to subscribe and point the camera at things, you can do that. Now, this is a very high resolution camera. It says the video camera will allow people to see things as small as cars, boats, and small groups of people. Although it's one meter resolution, <clears throat> won't allow you to make out an individual person. One meter resolution. Yeah. What? That used to be the stuff of secrets. It's crazy. Now it's free streaming. Yeah, this is like social media in in space. You know, Big Brother kind of crazy thing. But again, we are the Big Brother. Uh, Many of its images will be available free online just a few hours after they were captured, providing what the company calls the world's first near-live HD video feed of Earth. So there you go. That's cool. Nice find. Uh, Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm checking it out i don't know how much it's going to cost to actually aim that camera somewhere but another thing you can do is you can subscribe to a location so anytime the video camera 
pans over uh, a particular location, it'll snap a picture of that and send it to you. Well, and the space station orbit doesn't cover the whole planet. No, it doesn't. It's a, yeah, 100-degree spread, basically, yeah. in the center. Yeah, and, and most of the time, it's over the Pacific Ocean, for better or worse, right? Right. The, that ocean takes up a big chunk of the orbit, but you occasionally get shots of Hawaii, and it does get over Vancouver every so often, so we will get some pictures. It says it'll take a continuous video panorama of Earth 50 kilometers wide as the space station orbits Earth 16 times a day. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah, very geeky. And I knew you'd like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So go to EarthCast. Again, it's uh, U-R-T-H-E cast.com and uh, subscribe. Well, right now, if you go as we're recording this, you can sort of give them your email address and register for the beta, whatever that means. But I have no idea what this website's going to look at as of this release of the show. So Yeah, two weeks from now, you know, things will be different. Just go there. Check it out. You'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it. Know it, learn it, love it. Richard, who's talking to us today? I grabbed a comment off of show 110, and that is the one we did with Jen Myers while we were at Oradev, where she was talking about how developers can design software, design UX, and so forth. Mm. She talks about sort of the key concepts in there. And this comment comes from Klee Urig Thompson, who says, a good show. As one of those many developers who struggle with design, I always like to hear about the ones that don't. There is a definite art to it, and it seems it's one that you can only get better at with practice. It was good to hear that you've been to Australia and that you've talked to Adam Kogan about his rules. Oh, yeah, his many rules. Many, many rules. Some of those rules are crazy. <laughs> we don't mind telling you. He's a regular presenter here at the Newcastle Coders Group, so I've heard about them more than once as well. And I've been meaning to suggest that with all your other road trips around the world, that I'd love to see you come back to Australia for a road trip down under, quote, cue the didgeridoo. Yeah, you know, nothing a first-class ticket and some good drugs won't cure. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. But I'm never flying coach again to Australia. <laughs> It is a long, long flight. It's a long way to go. Yep. And if we go down there, we'd have to spend a couple of weeks down there. No yeah. two ways about it. Yeah. Or maybe a month. I mean, it, the, one thing I did when we were originally talking about doing an Australia road trip, I sort of mapped out things. It's like, you can't do a show every day. The space between the cities is just too big. Yeah. So it would be logistically interesting to try and put that together. But Clee, thanks so much for your comment. A tablet show mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a tablet show mug, just write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, for iOS, for Windows Phone 7 and 8, and for Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to diatomenterprises.com. And that brings us to our guest. Uh, welcome to the show, Glenn Howes. Glenn is an independent iOS developer doing business as generally helpful software, in which you can find at genhelp.com in Nashua, New Hampshire. He started programming seriously while in graduate school at University of Wisconsin-Madison, where part of his research work involved getting data out of an ancient infrared spectrometer programmable only in UCSD Pascal. Absolutely geeky. Cool. Finding he liked coding more than wearing a bunny suit. Oh, we're going to get to the bottom of that. Don't worry. Okay. He spent 20 years programming Macs before migrating full-time to iOS. He's best known for his stint being the senior Mac developer on the venerable ChemDraw desktop application and has just released a children's-shaped drawing app, FrogDraw, to the iOS app store. He's a father, too, a one-time Jeopardy loser, <laughs> and the 193rd ranked reviewer on Amazon. <laughs> Welcome, Glenn. 
Uh, thanks for having me, guys. You were on .NET Rocks a little while ago. Um, just to give a little history here, uh, the first time that we talked to anybody about iPhone programming or, uh, uh, was, I think it was Rory Blythe who had, um, you know, he was the second co-host of .NET Rocks, had sort of gone over to the iOS world and was doing that and, and had come back to, you know, uh, tell us all, you know, what his experience was. And he didn't have a very good experience. And, well, you sent us an email correcting some things that uh, he said that were wrong and giving us a more uh, balanced um, and, you know, more accurate uh, idea of what really iOS programming was all about. Since then, so many things have changed. And uh, now now you're back. So welcome back. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, over the years, uh, there's been a lot of changes in iOS programming. And, uh, you know, every, every year there's something new. And every every yeah. year, there's things that you have to learn, and and it's you, it's like you know a person. They're all saying that you don't step in the same river twice. Sure. And hmm. iOS programming is very much like that. Right. Um, so uh, I'm here today. I'm just going to want to talk to you about children's apps because uh, you know over at the WWDC over the summer, Apple announced that they're going to have a children's section to their app store. And what they meant by this, oh, there's a lot of apps for children. They wanted one that was specifically uh, safe for children. Mm. I think that's basically the rule. Not only was it targeted for children, but it was safe for children. And right. uh, and I've had some experience with that. And some, to a certain extent, I think they've gone overboard. Okay, with this, it was safety part, uh, but it, it was a market opportunity. I I was in the process of writing a framework where I could make multiple drawing apps, mm -hmm. uh, and I, so I was casting about what would be my first drawing app that I release. And yeah. uh, it, when they were announced that they're going to have a kid section in their store, and uh, I have kids, I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, mm. uh, and if it's a new store and maybe there'd be more opportunity to be noticed, you know, one of the major th problems in the iOS is that there's so many apps mm. in the store mm. that anytime that they open up a new section, you want to be there for the first day. Well, I, sure. I didn't make the first day. In fact, it's it's still in, in uh, limbo. But uh, it's certainly a case where... Uh, the opportunity was there, and I wanted to do it. And besides which, you know, kids' apps are fun. They're, they're a fun uh, yeah. topic. Now, the thing I know about kids online is that there's this law called COPPA that I'm sure you know about, C-O-P-P-A, that requires um, companies that are uh, providing services or online anything to kids to, uh, you know, first of all, you have to ask whether, you know, you're 13 or, or older. And if you're under 13... There has to be consent from an adult and all of this kind of stuff. And the, the process for validating that can, uh, can be kind of time-consuming and, and um, resource-intensive. Well, the, pro the problem with that is, is that Apple doesn't provide the developer with a good way of making that dis distinction. Oh, really? I would think they had, would have done that for you because that's sort of what they do, right? Well, I would hope so. But basically, what they ask you to do when you submit an app to the app store for, that's in the children's section is that you have to provide what they call a parent gate. Mm. And they don't give you any code or examples of what a parent gate is. And mm -hmm. if, if you do a Google search on that, you'll find that other parental apps, they, they've banded together and said, well... Apple accepted my app if I did this. And Apple accepted my app and done that. Like, right. for instance, you might put up on your app, you might say, do a two-finger draw drag to the left 
because apparently, you know, so with the idea that a child might not would not be able to read that mm. and would not be able to, you know, I don't know, have the motor skills to do it or something like sure. that or solve this math problem. And huh. the, the, the problem is, I mean, you can imagine how hard it is to figure out a problem that a 13 year old couldn't do, but an adult could. Yeah, that seems to me just being set up to be gamed. Yes. I'm, well, it's, it's basically you're, you're just doing something. Mm. You know, I mean, that's basically, you say, I, 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 we, it's like I'm acknowledging there's a problem that, you know, that parents are not having a proper control over what their child does online or on apps. Mm -hmm. And we're going to just do this, this thing that, which probably doesn't do much of anything, but we'll do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, if, if it was a different situation where you had like a, a passcode that the, the you, when you set up your phone or your tablet and you it said, this is my parental control passcode. Mm. And you allowed, you kept it as a secret yourself and you didn't show your child and you entered that, that would be one thing. That would be something that was functional, that would work. Mm. But in my case, I just chose, you know, what I considered a math problem that my eight-year-old couldn't solve. Mm -hmm. uh, but I thought that an adult probably could, you know, somebody who had a high school education could solve, mm. uh, I hope. Mm. <laughs> uh, in my case, it was, uh, what is 50% of uh, seven-eighths of 80? Huh. Okay. So, you know, hopefully that works and hopefully it doesn't cost me a lot of sales. But if one kid figures it out, you know, with a calculator who's really smart and a smart 12 year old, you know, they can just sort of send the answer around to their friends. I mean, it's just gameable, you know? Yes. Well, I'm, in my case, I'm not too worried about it because there's nothing in my app that I consider to be, you know, harmful to children. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. I mean, you're sort of playing along, aren't you? Yeah, and the other thing is that, you know, they had a lot of bad publicity about children uh, uh, buying in-app purchases and running up huge credit card bills. Right. Uh, I know that uh, about three years ago or two years ago, my kids bought $35 worth of Smurf berries. <laughs> you know, I you're not the first person to say this has been a problem, buying Smurf berries. So I heard this story from somebody else, and, and it certainly wasn't you. Mm-hmm. But um, somebody had the same exact problem. They Their kid had free reign uh, mm -hmm. on their phone, and they got this huge bill, Smurf berries. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you can you can set your phone up to have a password that, to, for any kind of purchase, and I have mine set up. Believe me, I learned my lesson. But, uh, you know, there's holes around that because perhaps, you know, there's a timeout on that. So I got a story for you. My, um, I, I gave my, my a daughter who's 11 – and old Windows Phone 7, uh, Nokia 900. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she wanted to be able to download free apps, right? So I actually did find a, you know, there's a website where I can log in as me. And she logs in as her and she had to set up an Xbox Live account. And then I could basically say that she had the ability to download free apps because I'm her father, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. We got that going. Then, a couple months later, I get this text from her, can I buy apps on my phone? And then I send her back a text, I don't know, do you have a credit card? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she says, no. <laughs> so, but, but it did bring up an interesting conversation, because I was sitting with, and this just happened a couple days ago, I was sitting with Richard and Atlee Hunter, who's a... Uh, a Windows Phone developer guy and very close to the Microsoft Windows Phone team. And we were just wondering if there was a way that you could take, um, you know, a credit and, you know, say, 
I'm giving my daughter $20 uh, that she can spend on apps. Mm -hmm. There she goes. There she's got that. When she's done with that, let me know. Maybe I can give her some more. But it, I don't know if there's a way to do that or not in the in the app store on iTunes. Well, yes, there there is actually. I mean, well, basically, you have to have set up an, an Apple ID. You give it money by going and buy those gift cards, like you see all over the place for iTunes. Mm -hmm. And you know, so you can buy them a fifty dollar gift card, populate okay. your uh, pr provision your uh, that Apple ID, and you know they just they have that amount of, amount of money. They can't. It's not attached to your credit card, so you can't. They can't. You know, run up the bill. Um, and you can do that for on Android as well as I think you can go, you, you can see, you see uh, Google play yeah. uh, gift cards all over the place these days. And it turns out you can do that the same thing on Windows phone too. Anyway. So I, Apple has this, this need to at least have, have make a show of like trying to keep ripples from spending money or from doing things that they don't want the child to do, you know? So mine is a drawing app. And, uh, so it generates pictures and it, and it can take, you know, pictures out of the photo album to make faces. You know, basically the idea is, you know, I, I, I need a face and then they put their face in a funny hat or something like that. And that's the, that's the drawing. And Apple doesn't want me to be able to them to uh, send that out as an email without parental permission. Right. They bounced it. I, I, I provided the app to them and they bounced it back to me. There was a rejection and they said, they said, oh, you need a parental gate. So I added the parental gate. So, the, so you had to have parental position to bring up a, a, um, a settings dialogue which says what the user, what the child could do, and they, and I gave it, they submitted that, and they bounced it again. They said you can't, you hmm. can't have an unlockable parental gate. You have to ask permission every time. Oh my goodness! And so, you know, like if I want my child right to be able to send me emails or send emails with their drawings that they make, I think that's my choice as a parent. But what they're saying is, no, you can't delegate that uh, authority to your child unless you want to give them the passcode. So my basically, my choice is either I give the child the passcode or the you know the math you know the number, or I don't. And I can't. And if I give them the passcode, they can do things like post to Twitter or Facebook. And maybe I don't want them posting to Twitter or Facebook. You know, that's a problem I have with their their current position about this. And I actually appealed it. You know, in the App Store, when you have a rejection, you can appeal something. And I said, can I appeal this? And yes, you can send it, to the, send it to the appeal committee. And they're actually very quick about that. And they said, no, that's actually what our policy is. You cannot unlock, you cannot permanently unlock a, uh, a parental gate. You have to have it every time ask for the code or whatever it is. And to me, that's just, that's taking away from my, uh, you know, parental rights in a way. To, because I, you know, I don't mind my child sends email with with drawings that they make. You know, that's fine. But I do have, I do have a problem with them posting to Facebook. Yeah, I, I would almost think you want to take away the uh, send an email anywhere, and it's like you pre-program a button of send this to dad, and that's the only place they can send it to. And you have to set that up once, and it's done. Well, that's that's probably that's I hadn't thought about that, but that that might be a, a doable option. Uh, but I, I think just as a general rule, it'd be nice, you know, I want to provide parental controls. There are people who have different opinions on how to raise children. Sure. And uh, I want to give them as much, you know, uh, granularity as they need to do that. But another thing that they want to lock out is um, rating the app. So a lot, a lot of apps have this button that says rate me in, in there. And um, they don't want ch children to be able to go to the app store and rate apps from that button without permission. Right. 
anyway, so you know, I was sort of sort of angry at the time. I was like, they were trying to ruin my beautiful app. But I sort of, <laughs> <laughs> but I, Jeez. But, but I, but I, but I calmed, but I calmed down about it. Um, it, it, I, you know, I implemented the way they wanted to do it. It isn't too bad, you know, especially if you know what the passcode is. And uh, I'm, you know, I've submitted it, and hopefully they'll they'll accept it now. Uh, the one good thing about you know uh, being rejected is you have a lot more time to to smooth it out. So uh, you know, because you know, you submit it, and then five or six days later, you get a rejection. And in, in the meantime, you have five or six more days of, you know, uh, making the app better. So that it does have that positive side of it, I guess. Right. Um, so uh, I was trying to get it in for, for Halloween because, like, you know, Halloween's a big holiday. Was, I had a lot of, like, pumpkins and uh, witch hats and things like that in the app, for, and I was going to sell them. And um, uh I'm glad I didn't make Halloween because th there were bugs in there that I re I'm really am happy to have fixed since then. Like it didn't like the ampersands when it when there was text. So nice. I'm, huh. I was glad about that. Wow. It just takes time to test all those different things out. Do you think Apple's trying to get a place where kids are allowed to install apps? Uh based on this not at all. I mean right. because they they want a, a pretty locked down. And yeah. I, sh I should say, say what the definitions are here. Uh, a kid is like you were saying, like, like Carl was just saying, it's people who are 13 year under our special cases. Right. And uh, the app store is for, there's three apps, three kids at sections. They're five and under, uh, six through eight, which coincidentally are the ages of my children, and nine through 11. Uh, there isn't actually a 12 or 13 year old store. I guess they're on their own. That's interesting. Um, but, um, you know, it, kids are so great with tablets, you know, yeah. I, mm. I, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, if like you try, it took them, my kids, I remember my, my daughter when she was like three or four and she was up on the TV stand and she was trying to like control YouTube on the TV because she assumed that if you touch the surface of, you know, the YouTube on the TV, that it would do things. Like you know, if she tapped something that looked like a button on TV, it would do things. And she was like, why isn't this not moving? It's why isn't it like my, why isn't it like the iPad? <laughs> but it, you know that it's such a natural interface that if you don't have all of that preconceived notions around these things, it's so straightforward to use. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, right now they're learning how to use a mouse, and because they actually, my my son is like eight years old. The other day he, or maybe my daughter asked him, was six. She asked me what a mouse was. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> because, I love it. Well, first of all, because she's mainly used to, to tablets, and even when she's on a desktop computer, I use trackpads. I use, um, you know, a ma uh, Apple Magic Trackpad as my sure. primary input yeah. device, and and my wife uses a thumb wheel. So nothing in the house looks like a mouse. You know, it has a tail thing that would make it look like a mouse, and it's just mind blowing to me that as somebody who grew up with technology from the you know eighties on, whatever, that these things are are sort of like um, old these things that you know a mouse is an old technology that people a lot of people don't use these days it's just strange what surprises me is it it sounds like apple announced they were going to do a kids section without actually having a plan on how to do a kids section yes well i mean everybody is eager all the developers are eager to do kids apps okay? yes i mean there's money to be made and and it's fun but yes they they needed this thing. They need, if they're telling a developer you need a parental gate, uh, you know, I'm, I, I want a real parental gate. You know, yes. I want something that's robust. 
And if they don't provide that, to me, it's just theater. Well, I'm, I'm wondering why they're asking you to provide it at all. If it's their kids section, mm -hmm. shouldn't it just be built in? Like that, that should just be an automatic piece of, uh, for any app. You don't have to build it into the app at all. Well, I guess it's similar to like you, when you're doing an app and you have in-app purchases, you provide your own interface to in-app purchases because it's, you know what your app is supposed to look like. And right. like, uh, uh, my app is sort of, is, is not, it's not a skeuomorphic app. You know, it is very, I tried to make a, a kid's app that was similar to, um, to iOS 7 sort of, you know, adult app in sort of a way. And if more, I didn't try to do it, make it play school or have like fuzzy bunnies running around. Right. But somebody <laughs> who had, who had fuzzy bunny running around, they would want their, uh, kernel gate to look like that. You know, they would want, they would want something that had fuzzy bunnies on it. Um, I, I basically, I just wanted some API that says, uh, here is a prompt string. Here's the answer or something right. like that. Cryptographically sign, you know, figure it out and see if that's right. And let me know if the, I should unlock the parental gate. That's all. I don't want them to provide GUI for it necessarily. Right. I mean, I would be happy if they provided GUI for it, but, uh, all I really want is an API to do that. That's all. And the other thing is the funny thing about it is doing in-app purchases is like Apple's uh, iTunes Connect, which was the developer portal to get things in there, is it makes in-app purchases like co totally incomprehensible. It's just, just a, not, not even when kids are involved, but just in general. Right. Uh, you, you, all I'm trying to do is sell some stickers, basically, or, or a clip art. Um, right. My app is free, and I just want to, I want to make money by selling like Christmas-themed stickers or something like that. This episode of The Tablet Show is brought to you by Telerik Icinium, which enables you to develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using only HTML5 and JavaScript. And the best part is Icinium lets you do all of this from within Visual Studio, including comprehensive backend as a service in the cloud, integrated support for Kendo UI as well as jQuery Mobile, and integrated testing and deployment capabilities. That makes Icinium a robust end-to-end -end mobile app development platform for .NET developers. Telerik Icinium, with its Visual Studio extension, is available on a subscription basis and part of the Telerik DevCraft Ultimate Collection. Start a free 30-day trial of Icinium with support at icinium.com slash DNR. That's I-C-E-N-I-U-M dot com slash DNR. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks and the Tablet Show. You mentioned that this is called Frog Draw, and, and then you mentioned that it's non-skeuomorphic. How... How is it that, uh, you know, in iOS 7, you know, is non-skeuomorphic? How, how does that work? Isn't a frog a skeuomorphic? Uh, how, how would you say, a skeuomorphism? <laughs> iOS 7 is non-skeuomorphic, and it is also very sort of like um, uh, abstract mm. in its appearance. The lack of skeuomorphism means that instead of like you're trying to uh, make things that have a textures in them that are wood or, you know, uh, the velvet of a pool table or whatever it might right. be that you're doing plain simple simple uh, solid colors and gradients mm. and you're you have a very cool design sense you know very like almost Bauhaus design sense right and not trying to represent something that it is yes and so in my case I w I sat down I I named Frog Draw first of all because well when I was married um, 
the order of service that I, that I drew up, you know, for my, my, for my wedding mm -hmm. had uh, my wife as a, as a beautiful swan and me as a frog. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and ever since then, that's been sort of in the emblem of my company, Generally Helpful Software, is that I have a frog emblem because uh, I'm okay. the frog. All right. And, and I went to and I was trying to figure out a name for Frog Dry, and I went to a list of names that children like, and like number five was frog, and I said, "Oh, that's it. I'll kind of call Frog Draw." <laughs> sure. All right. So I sat down to to draw the thing's icon for instance. And, uh, you know, I am not the world's greatest artist, but I, I do, a, I, I'm, I'm proud of my graphic artwork sometimes. And I was trying to figure out how to make these plain icons that Apple mandate or encourages mm -hmm. um, that, you know, Apple itself has these very plain icons these days. It used to be like, you know, you, they would use, spend so much time making sure that Safari's icon looked like this very carefully rendered compass. Right. And, and now it is like, you know, two triangles in a circle yeah. or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to do, do something like that because if basically I think that if you try to make an icon that looks like it used to be, which, you know, a schematic icon, people will say, oh, that's an old app. Yeah. And then they sort of all tend to look the same after a while. You know, they all tend to look like circles with varying shades of color and, you know, because there's just so much detail you can get. Yeah. So I yeah. ended up, you know, I, I, I drew, a, drew the frog from the top and then I drew the frog from the front and I, I, I got simpler and simpler and simpler until I ended up making it with basically, you know, three circles and two, two crescents. Oh, okay. And, and, and a little, little drawing of a pencil beneath it. Okay. And I'm doing that. I'm, I, I was realizing, for instance, that it's really hard to draw a frog that smiles. Right. Because frogs, frogs don't smile. It's if you true. see a smiling frog, it's a cartoon. Mm. And so, and if I, I was trying to do a, a smiling frog, uh, you know, this in this simple geometric way, and it, more and more I did it, more and more it looked like a duck. So, <laughs> so why was it important to make it smile? Well, because I wanted a happy children sing. Oh, okay, basically. all right. And um, and I really am concerned about this. You know, whether children will reject or not reject. Uh, you know a. The, this plain abstraction that adults accept as being, you know, cool design sense. Yeah. Like, do children really need, do they need the skeuomorphism? Do they need, like, the textures and, like, uh, the, you know, the little fuzzy bunnies in the corner? Or will they accept the fact that what I'm trying to deliver to them is, like, a, as big a drawing surface as I can get on a phone uh, and the tools that they need without a lot of, you know, fluff? So, what's the answer to that? Has it been well received? Well, I, I haven't released it. It hasn't been. Uh, my kids like it. Okay, uh, <laughs> that's I, good. I haven't got any feedback from customers yet because I, you know it's still in design. It's still in Apple limbo. Okay, but, right. But it's it's a big question to me. You know, does this because I think a lot of people hated iOS 7's design when it came out, but they sort of gradually realized felt, oh, this is so much more open and uses so much more space and like. All the all that sp space that was being spent up by buttons, you know, by the outside of buttons in Chrome or whatever, you know, that that was wasted space. I never realized realized how much space it wasted. And of course, you know, Apple went too far. You had a guy on a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about uh, how that you can't tell if a button is a button anymore, and you know, like it's just it's just some text, and like how do you? And I, I didn't go that far in my design. I, I, my buttons are discernibly buttons, but they're very softly discernibly buttons. Right. 
Uh, I really do expect that Apple will level back and put something around a button that makes it look like a button in the you know upcoming releases. Well, and it sounds like there's enough room there that they can that everybody's going to add some elements to give it a look. Yeah, it's um, but in my case, I felt that you know children might. Well, the, <laughs> that's the other funny thing. Of course, obviously, ch- you know, children who are you know four years old now and two years when the, they're six and playing with this app, um, they'll never know a day when there were these you know very skeuomorphic buttons. Sure. Yeah, it's going to disappear. And to them, they'll say, "What is this thing? What? What? Oh, this this doesn't look like anything I know of. It doesn't look like. What am, am I supposed to push it? Like, it'll be like that. Um, so uh, mm. I I just put you know very light uh, buttons or you know uh, shadings around my things to make it have a look. And that, it's actually sort of funny because I um I made a mistake in the design, in the original design. I I thought it'd be cool if I put my artwork on top of little iOS seven shaped icon palettes. Now, the iOS 7's icons are sort of like little squirkles. You know, they're not they're not round wrecks anymore. They're some sort right. of like strange, really odd geometry shape that's sort of a squirkle. And so I thought it'd be cool and if I put them my my artwork on that. And you know what happened when my my daughter saw that? She thought that was a button. Naturally, yeah. Yeah, of course she did. Of course she did. And so she was always pressing it. I mean I would give it to her and then a couple of weeks later I'd go back to her and say and say Hey, hey, honey, try out my app. See what you like about it. And she was still doing the same thing. So I realized I had to get rid of that background. She, she, she knew enough. She had uh, internalized what that shape meant to the extent that she, this is a button. I have to press it. And yeah. so I got rid of it and it made a cleaner, you know, less chrome and it looks better for it. Uh, but, you know, but it was one of these things I was not sure about. Do I, re- do I remove stuff? Can I remove stuff and make it, recognizable and usable and in this case it was true i mean just having the things just sitting there on a plain background is perfectly fine the child will will naturally put their finger out and try to figure out what to do with it um the other things that i'm not sure about you know i i found out uh you know i used to work on chemdraw you know, which was an old school. Right. Basically, if you it was, it was very derivative of what what um, uh, MacDraw was when I was a kid, when I was uh, in high school. You know, in that, and you know, you had, you had uh, uh, palettes full of tools, and uh, you pressed a button to do something. You pressed a button to get up a tool or to do something, and you use that tool on something. So the you know the action was select tool, go and do something, and then go select another tool, and uh, the thing about uh, tablet development is that you have gestures, and if you try to do things the old school way with tu- with with uh, explicit tools, you'll find you're just moving all over the place with your finger, and it's sort of tiresome. And so the example I have is um, I'm, I'm drawing something, and I realize I need something in front of another thing. You know, something is hiding something. I want it to be in front. And in the old days, I would select it. And I would go find a, a menu item that said, bring, bring to front. Remember, right. the, remember those? Yeah. A- and, uh, well, I don't have any menu items anymore. You know, and I could put a button up to, that does that. But uh, I realized that a better thing was to have a gesture to do that. So I, I settled upon, if I put my two fingers down and I, dr- and I drag uh, anywhere on the screen or anywhere on the drawing surface, and I, dra- I drag those two fingers up, it will mean that send the currently thing that's selected 
backwards and it not all the way just keep as long as you keep going up it'll go farther and farther back hmm. and if it's, it's going down it comes forward so in the old days you'd have like this menu item you go you go back 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 or even worse all the way to backwards in these days you you have a, i haven't if, if it's important enough to have a gesture for it's it becomes a very natural thing uh but the thing about that is how do you teach a child that most of the games that I've seen are, are apps that require gestures. When you first play them or first see them, mm -hmm. they take you through this little training thing that says, you know, shows Level you, up. you know, how, yeah, how to use your fingers like this and go ahead and try it now. And it only takes a few seconds, but, you know, introduce them one at a time. And I, you know, I probably have to add more of this, but what I did is, you know, Apple's, I went to WWC a couple of years ago and, uh, Apple is very much pushing the idea that you have to have onboarding on an app. Hmm. You know, that's their term for knowledge. I don't know if, the, if this is an industry-wide term, but the, generally the idea is that uh, you have to tell the user the first time they launch their app everything that they need to know about that app. Right. And so, like, for the example they were always giving was uh, you have to explain to them why you need to log into a service. Hmm. Right, because if you launch the app and all the first thing they see is a login button, they will quit the app. Yeah, uh, they had an example where somebody was doing that, and and then they went to a method where they spent three pages tell, explaining to them why they had to uh, log into a service, and you know their login rate went up like by five times or some some number, some large number. Three pages though, is a kid going to read three pages? Well, you know, it's three on-screen pages, three screens worth of data. Oh, okay. So, so generally, you know, you have this uh, page layout where you have like dots on the bottom and you, you say, okay, next, 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 and then uh, enter the app. Yeah, when I think of three pages, I think of, you know, three pages of text, but you know, I'm not thinking that. Oh, okay. Well, well, three panes worth of, of, and you just have to compress things down into it. Right. Um, my particular app is has unlimited undo. And so uh, one of the nice features of that is I can take the undo buffer and I can make an animation out of it. And so uh, I can see myself, I can, I, the user can generate animated GIFs. And in my case, I can take that, the document that is generated mm. and I can, I can save it and I can use it as my onboarding experience. So uh, what I did was I, I, I animated myself drawing a little tutorial about how to, how to use my two finger drawing mm -hmm. uh, in, in the onboarding. And uh, the only thing wrong with that is, is like you were saying, um, I'm not, let, I'm not, forcing the user to do that right so what i probably should do is li literally say you cannot enter the app until you do a two-finger draw mm. right like if as soon as you do a two-fingered uh a slide you can enter the app yep and that's part of, uh, i make a little note of myself to do that <laughs> um uh, but thanks for thanks for the tip yeah well <laughs> you're welcome anytime but you know i i find that you know it's it, if somebody has been like spent so much time in the desktop world, you have to unlearn all these interface ideas that you had. Yeah, and figure out which one what's works now, because a finger is not a mouse. It has a severe limitation compared to a mouse, but it also has, has great advantages over a mouse. And you got to figure out what those things are. Now, do you uh, have any plans to make an Android version of this? Uh, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it because, you know, uh, there's there's several issues to me with Android. One is, um, you know, my app is entirely written in Objective-C. Mm -hmm. uh, I have not written an, a line of C++ in a year and a half. 
Well, you'd probably use Java for uh, yeah for Android. Well, I spent a lot of time writing um, what I, you know SVG renderers in Objective C. Mm. Uh, in fact, I wrote two. <laughs> and and just remind us what SVG is: Scalable Vector Graphics. SVG is like a web standard for vectored graphics. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, my my idea when I sat down to draw a drawing app is I said, oh, I need to, I need a, a document model that will cover everything you'd ever want to draw with vectors. And I figured, well, I'm sure the W3C has done their due diligence and figured that out. Mm-hmm. So I took the I took the SVG DOM and I implemented it. And wait a minute, so you implemented it in iOS. Yeah, as 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 my my rendering model. Oh, neat! So so the same kind of stuff that you would do in HTML five, you could now do in iOS. Well, it's the same thing. If you have an SVG, and the SVG might have some, you know, it has like you know text on a path. You know, it has transparency. It has mm-hmm. all sorts of Bezier, all sorts of Beziers. It has um, uh, it has image processing. It has rotations. It has all sorts of things. That's pretty freaking cool, man. The only thing I didn't implement was SVG fonts, which are ridiculous. Yeah. Because uh, who would do that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess some, somebody who works for the W3C would think it would be a good idea. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, I, it, well, it is. I mean, well, first of all, you know, you, you, I think you ever, if anybody ever wrote a drawing app or a painting app, they would find out that 80% of the problems are in text. Yeah. And if you just, if you add uh, your own font, you know, font, rendering technology right mm. oh i'm gonna i'm gonna take a bunch of uh, splines and make them into a font uh then you, you're going to tr- triple the amount of time you're working on this that's thing. probably why adobe um has all the graphics apps you know because they pretty much figured out the font stuff early on and kept up with it well yeah i mean well i mean it was, it was a lot of you know and, and then unicode came along and ruined everything mm. So I used to do, have to do a lot of PDFs, and so uh, yeah, if you look read the PDF standard, which I have, uh, it's it's like one th- like it's got thirty pages of everything that isn't text, <laughs> and one hundred twenty pages of things that are text, basically. <laughs> and then it's like oh, and then you add Unicode mm. <laughs> to that. <laughs> Forget all that stuff we just said. <laughs> but anyway, so I I want to get back to Android. Yeah. Okay. The the other thing about Android is that. Um, everybody is saying, you know, that even though and- Android has like 80% worldwide market share in phones, mm-hmm. um, that there's no money in it, that, that people don't pay for things that are Android users as a general rule like yeah. compared to the, compared to iOS users. And, you know, a lot of that is because, you know, Android is replaced, you know, dumb phones in like, you know, Mogadishu or something. So there's, for me, there's just two things. One is I'm, I'm, you know, I'm heavily in, invested in, uh, in Objective-C programming. Mm-hmm. And the other one is I don't, I can't tell my wife that there's going to be money to be made. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't have anything against, you know, Android programming. I used to do some Java programming uh, at the, in, in the distant past. Sure. And I, I'm always intending to have a little sample project and do something, but uh, it would take it would take me about a, you know five six months to write Frog, frog Draw in Java, and it would you know I don't I, cu- I could not justify that. Sure, okay, fair enough. Uh, have you have you done any uh, Android programming? Uh, yeah, so I do very little and read none Java programming. Um, my brother's a Java programmer, but uh, I have done. Uh, you know, programming with Xamarin. So the Xamarin tools allow you to use C Sharp, which is essentially you know Java plus mm-hmm. plus. If you could, if you're a Java programmer, it's you you find it very comfortable and use that same language to develop iOS, Android, and Windows 
uh, eight apps, all from a single code base. You know, I've I've been hearing you know people starting to complain pretty heavily about the development tools for Android. Um, you know, like using um, Eclipse and such mm-hmm. for it. I guess I guess um, Google is having their own Android Studio that they're trying to get ready. That's right. Just quite, it isn't quite ready yet. Um, it's you know it's just. It, um, it's just a very interesting set of certain things to be. I yeah. guess you can yeah. do all these cool things. Um, it's a fun time to be a developer, that's for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. I, oh, oh, anyway, I want I wanted to get back about make to develop making money. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So I don't know how to make money on iOS, right? <laughs> uh, my, my, I, you know, I make about ten dollars a day from the apps I have in the App Store now, and uh, uh, I. Well, this is my first big, you know, wide market thing, and that's why I'm set, getting it as free because I don't. I think it's worth something. I, you know, I I think this is a quality product, mm. but I can't see how to get it into a lot of people's hands without right. making it free. Yeah. What about an in-app purchase? You know, if you want to, um, yeah, right. We, we we've talked to a lot of people, and in, one strategy seems to be make the minimum viable product. You know, the 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 put the minimum in there to make it worth downloading and installing mm-hmm. and then you know when uh, somebody wants to a new feature or something like that oh you could turn that feature on for you know make it a significant feature uh, sharing to social networks for example you know it would seem to me the logical thing here you've got a tool for letting your kid draw a picture mm-hmm. you want the kid to be able to send the picture to the parent when the parent sees the picture and loves it they could post it on Facebook, but they'd also say, hey, make me a hundred stickers of this picture or send me this picture in a frame. Right. Yeah, you're right. That's a, not, that's a good idea. I mean, I have to fig- have to like get a team up with Cafe Press or somebody like that to yeah. do that. Um, I should probably investigate that. One other thing I was thinking about is, you know, I go to the store and I look at Disney properties. You know, Disney has some apps that allow you to have like pictures of with um you know your your kid's picture next to Mickey Mouse or whatever it might be, hmm. and my right. app is my app is like much better designed than those apps. Like where like I'm I'm thinking where can I find like somebody who has some you know some properties you know Bugs Bunny or something at, that would w- want to have a theme version of my app? Can I do that? I, I know I'm just always trying to think of ways to like monetize things. Sure. Um, you know so. Right now, I'm just going to sell Frog Draw for free and, again, try to sell sticker, stickers. I mean, uh, it would be great, you know, if I could get featured. You know, if I somehow I could convince somebody at Apple to fe- feature me in the kids' store, then I would have, you know, tens of thousands of downloads, and then, it would, you know, I'd be able to make money. But there's no guarantee of that. And you just got to get it in there first. Yeah, I got to get in there for it, and I got to get people at Apple to somehow the, whoever – is inside Apple that makes that decision, you know, has to be in a good mood that day right. and, 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 and put it on. Because I literally, even though I'm very proud of my, my work, I, and I, I'm sure that people were to see it. And if I, you know, if I go to a group of parents, and I, you know, I'm off at kids' birthday parties and I, and I show you that they're my app and I'm like, they'll say, wow, that's pretty cool. Or like I did some, mm-hmm. uh, bir- I did some birthday cards recently for my kids went to birthday parties, and like you know, I, I made a, these cute little ones where um, one of the backgrounds is is ind- ruled index paper with with punch holes. Mm. So I printed it out on a on a on a on photo paper, and then I punched the in- the holes out. Mm. So you know, it was, so it looked like really, <laughs> literally looked like a little piece of notebook paper with you know with the happy birthday and my kids on it and some you know that's pretty cool. I don't know, if, 
pirate hats or whatever it was. And uh, and then I then I emailed the parent, you know, the animated GIF of me drawing it. Huh. You know, so they could see that, you know, this is this custom thing that I did for their kid. That's neat. Oh, that's, by the way, that's why I found out my app was not working with ampersands. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you have any other apps that, uh, are in the back burner that you're, you'll be working on soon or are currently working on that you don't have to tell us if what there are, but, uh, just you have, you, you plan to do more? Well, my, my initial prop plan was I was, uh, uh, for drawing apps was I know that all the good drawing apps on the app store are for tablets mm-hmm. and the, the, it's really hard to do a drawing app for the phone. Yeah. Yeah, because of the scale of size. And I wanted to see if it was possible for me to make some sort of micro drawing app that'd be, you know, appropriate for drawing business cards or something, uh, that scale. And so I was going to, I, my intention is to draw and make one of those. Cause like I said, I spent all this time building a framework for building drawing apps. Mm. You know, the, the, I didn't, wasn't building a drawing app. I was building all drawing apps, basically, mm. I think. Mm. Uh, and so, um, I can take my, you know, all the code that I wrote. I also have another app on the App Store, which is, has had about seven downloads, uh, which is, is, which is sort of a calculator for generating SVG paths. Because I, I wrote this utility so I could ro- draw, make the artwork for my, my frog draw. So the, the general idea is I sit down and I, and I, it's like a little calculator and I say, oh, there's a C button. So a C yeah. stands, C is one of the cube, uh, stands for a cubic Bezier spline. Mm. I hit the C button, uh, cubic be- Bezier spline appears. I could type in the numbers if I want to, or I can manipulate it with my finger mm. to get what approximate I want. And in the end, I, I just end up with these, you know, perfect geometric uh, representations of shapes. Neat. And, but so I, I needed this utility, but I, you know, I, I spent the extra two or three weeks to make it, you know, something I could post on the app store and, uh, I, I uh, nobody's really bought it. <laughs> well, the important thing is you, you keep going, right? You get some ideas and keep going. Hey, Glenn, we're just about out of time, but I'd like to thank you for sharing your experiences with us. Oh, thanks. Thanks guys. It's one of the fun things I ever do is being on a podcast. I really enjoy it. Absolutely fun for us too. We'll see you next time on the tablet show. It's not-